Well, hey guys, welcome back to my YouTube channel. Thanks for being here. Well, it's been a very interesting development since I published my most recent book, as you know, I'm sure you already have a copy, Dark Matter Monsters. In this book, I proposed that we could have life forms on Earth that were configured around what's called dark matter, this unknown substance in the universe that seems to outnumber ordinary matter by a factor of nine to one or something like that, dark matter particles to ordinary baryonic matter that we can see. And, you know, if you do some research on dark matter, uh, you'll find that uh, none of the physics models that we have make sense unless this matter exists based on the behavior we see of cosmic background radiation, movement of galaxies, and so forth. And the alternatives, uh, modified Newtonian gravity and so forth, don't really uh, explain all of it as well as dark matter. So it's very uh, gratifying to me to find an article that proposes the same uh, idea that I proposed in Dark Matter Monsters, and this is written of uh, some 15 years ago uh, in 2009 by none other than J. Alfred. Uh, this is called Creation of Minimal Plasma Cell Systems by Self-Organization in Earth's Dark Matter Biosphere, leading to the evolution of... Da -da, Dark plasma life forms. So, Ad, excuse me, Alfred. Alfred argues in his uh, article here, which was submitted to the Journal of Unconventional Theories and Research. Um, Alfred argues that because of higher concentrations of dark matter than uh, people have suspected, that there would be life on Earth that's based on plasmas made up of clusters and bead filaments of uh, dark matter. Dark matter has this effect where it seems to flux and concentrate around gravitational objects. And if you've been following my YouTube channel, uh, or have you read Dark Matter Monsters, you'd know or the uh, Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project channel that Dr. Alexander Parkamov, a Russian former Soviet aerospace scientist, proposed that dark matter uh, fluxes and concentrates around gravitational objects like Earth. And he had created these experiments with his uh, telescope, his relic neutrino telescope, to show that fluctuations in... Uh, position of the Earth relative to the solar system, relative to the galaxies and other galaxies, creates these long-term fluctuations, these yearly patterns, uh, variations in so-called beta decay rates. Uh, and I don't want to get too complex with it here, but it suggests that if you have variation in beta and inverse beta decay, something that is not predicted by any standard physics mod uh, model, there has to be a cosmological a factor involved that is affecting us 
with some sort of pressure, like a pressure gravitational effect in that would be these relic neutrinos, which stream in from the cosmic background radiation uh, from 13 billion years ago. And they are, tend to cluster around other gravitational objects like galaxies, like solar systems, like planets, and so forth. Well, this is exactly the argument that J. Alfred is using. He doesn't go specifically into relic neutrinos Relic neutrinos are not like these really fast-moving, uh, high-powered solar neutrinos, which are very small but very fast-moving and powerful. Um, uh, but we rarely interact with them. That's why you have these detectors around the Earth that scientists have set up, and they rarely see any collisions in their detectors, maybe like one a day or something like that. It's very small, given that there's you know billions and we're told billions and trillions of neutrinos coming from the sun flowing through us every second, but they don't interact with anything. These uh, slow, ultra-low energy neutrinos are much bigger on the scale of microns. They can interact with cells. They can interact with molecules and uh, based on their quantum wavelength. But they're very slow, but they're around us, and there may be people like Ethan Siegel, who writes for Forbes and other magazines, an astrophysicist that maybe these relic neutrinos are like 1% of dark matter, which is still a lot if you consider the total amount of dark matter in the universe. So what J. Alfred is arguing is that there is more of this dark matter around us than we thought. Now, if you go to some science channels here on YouTube, and I won't mention any names, but maybe something like the Science Asylum, YouTube channel, which, you know, Science Asylum, I'm a big fan of that channel, explains a lot of interesting and strange physics to us. But recently I looked at that, the, one of the videos there, and um, the creator of that channel made the argument that there's only like a handful of dark matter. You know, it's not just way out there in these galactic halos. There's like some of it in, the, in, in the, our solar system, but it's just like a handful. You know, it's like a really small amount. I think he said something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Alfred argues that it's considerably higher than that, uh, that you get clusters of dark matter halos around the Earth. Now, it's not as much as the ordinary matter we see us since even though dark matter outnumbers ordinary matter particles 9, 10 to 1, you know, they're spread out throughout the cosmos but they tend to cluster around gravitational objects like the sun, moon, uh, earth, and other planets in the solar system. Now, Alfred in this article argues that the highest concentration of dark matter, of which, since we don't know exactly what it is, but maybe some of it is relic neutrinos, uh, Alfred argues these would be about 70,000 kilometers from earth, uh, maybe 50,000 miles away from us in orbit around the Earth. And he argues that this uh, Legios satellite, which is a laser-reflecting satellite that um, is up a couple thousand miles in orbit around the Earth and is used for gravitational measurements. It's designed to reflect laser light from Earth. Uh, based on my research about it, that they've detected these anomalies in the motion and acceleration of these satellites, which would be consistent with the idea of a dark matter halo around Earth. 
So Alfred argues that because dark matter is around us, that going back billions of years, that this dark matter was also the source and seed of life here on Earth. It's not just that comets and meteorites came and fell here and left this uh, building blocks of DNA material, you know, whatever the theory of it is. Um, uh, I think we were told when I was in school, maybe lightning had hit these DNA building blocks billions of years ago that came from outer space. Uh, that could be how some life formed. But Alfred argues, sort of along the lines that I'm arguing in Dark Matter Monsters, that there's another type of life that's based on dark matter, which would create its own dark plasma life forms. So if we go through the basic points here, and I encourage you to read this article for yourself. I'll put a link in the body description below this video. Um, he argues that these uh, dark matter particles form the basis of complex plasmas, which self-organized eventually into helical structures, just like DNA, something like DNA. Because these dark matter uh, clusters, which become the basis of plasma, something that's argued by Dr. Alexander Parkamov, or plasmas because they tend to form these magnetic monopoles with their fractal toroidal moments, something we can talk about in the future. Uh, these sort of alternative non-Maxwellian electromagnetic arrangements based on fractals, uh, just as Boyd Bushman from Lockheed Martin argued, form the basis of a structure that can interact with dark matter, dark matter neutrinos, and so forth. And Alfred argues that because these uh, plasmoids, as uh, Winston Bostick called them, form chains, bead chains, this would be the basis for the scaffolding of a helical structure like DNA. So Alfred's proposing that just be due to the gravitational um, forces that you would have attracted this dark matter, it would have led to the formation of very, you know, he's talking very tiny plasmas initially, but they could have formed the basis of life, which would sort of explain some of these weird light anomalies that people see from time to time, which often, um, often are thought to be UFOs, UAPs. Just as an example, uh, this photograph of the apple tree wick Morris dancers from 1993 in North Yorkshire. You know, you see the Morris dancers here. And then there was this sort of interesting plasma or something behind a tree there. I mean, maybe in my earlier days, you would have thought it's a small UFO or something, but it's not just structured UFOs we're talking about here. We're talking about plasmas that are self-organizing and people see and photograph things like this. What Alfred is arguing in this article he hasn't going so far as I am in Dark Matter Monsters to say that this makes up the basis of Bigfoot and cryptids and other creatures, which, as you know, if you're familiar with my argument here, uh, have a lot of 
micro ball lightning and ball lightning orb of characteristics and phenomena associated with cryptids and Bigfoot, uh, the weird electromagnetic effects people experience um, around Bigfoot and cryptids, cameras, batteries failing, lights going off, uh, you, you know, just when you want to turn the lights on the porch to see what's stomping around out there, they don't work. Things like that. Cars not starting around Bigfoot, dogmen, cryptids like that. This is consistent with what we would expect to be happening around dark matter. So Alfred is arguing a very similar argument here, which I think is very interesting, is that we have this orb-like luminous phenomena around us that has a lot of characteristics of UFOs and UAPs. And I think this is very similar to the argument that John Ramirez, former CIA Mazint specialist, measures and signatures intelligence who works with, you know, signals, analyzing signals and signatures of, of missile systems and so forth. Um, he's argued that the keyhole satellites photographed a lot of these uh, starting in the 70s coming into the atmosphere. I mean, structures, they, they looked like structures at one wavelength and that they would go invisible and were only visible in the infrared as electromagnetic emitting plasmas. Well, this is exactly the argument that Alfred's making here in the article. I think this is very interesting. Alfred argues that these dark matter life forms, these primordial life forms that he's talking about, not as evolved as, you know, Bigfoot and cryptids and so forth, but just like single cellular organisms or clusters of cells that would form balls and so forth. He argues they have a dark matter component, which is non-radiant, but they have a plasma component, which does radiate light due to ionization of oxygen around it. We sort of see this glow, this intriguing glow from the plasmas. It's exactly what Ramirez has been arguing if you listen to some of the podcasts and interviews he's been doing recently. And so Alfred concludes his presentation about dark matter life forms, which he said, you know, would form these sort of plasma orb shapes and eventually helical structures at a small scale grow to bigger scales, that they would have a largely invisible component, but would be detectable what in the microwave uh, spectrum. Isn't that what we've heard from the research at Skinwalker Ranch is that you had high detections of microwaves uh, at Skinwalker Ranch around the time when orbs and other paranormal phenomena were experienced. And as you know, microwaves can even create biological damage to cells and tissues and so forth. Alfred argues this is all a direct result of dark matter, dark plasma type life forms. Now, Alfred concludes by going into the MOD Condine report from the UK, where they made some statements in there that if UFOs, UAPs were not operating in an ordinary electromagnetic spectrum, like we're used to with ordinary technology, it'd be very hard to study them. And this is exactly what we find. So um, we see evidence for this even in the MOD Condine report what they're referring to, even if they didn't understand it at the time. They uh, did conclude the Condon report, and this is before I really understood ball lightning and orbs very well, that a lot of what people were seeing was, in fact, ball lightning. And I think we can understand that that could be true. 
Uh, it's just there is an interesting crossover between orbs and ball lightning and conscious life. I think you'd have to admit that. When I read it at that time, I thought maybe it was like some sort of cop-out, you know? I mean, you wouldn't be surprised. Uh, some government agency is trying to make UFOs look like, you know, some atmospheric phenomena. But I think the deeper point is not that they're trying to explain it away. It's that orbs and ball lightning do seem very lifelike sometimes. Even uh, researchers like uh, Massimo Tiordani, the uh, Italian ball lightning researcher that did a lot of uh, research at Hesdalen, Norway, of the earthlights that were there, concluded that there's a lot of overlapping phenomenology uh, between UFOs and orbs and ball lightning. It's a very fine line, and sometimes these orbs, which you would attribute to natural phenomena uh, like dark matter, seem to act intelligently. So it's a very interesting question whether there is another type of life around us not just the large types that I mentioned in Dark Matter Monsters, which we call Bigfoot cryptids and have other names for, um, but that there's other types of orbs and luminous phenomena that you know seem like they're living, but we really don't have a name for them. <laughs> we just call them ball lightning or orbs. I mean, I think this raises the possibility that this is like a crossover type of life, just like we can argue that ball lightning orbs form like a fifth state of matter past plasma as a type of coherent matter that we call plasmoids. Um, that there's sort of a life that goes along with that fifth state of matter, which has its own rules and uh, can easily be invisible to the naked eye. And it's something that we wouldn't run into very much. We might not even see it if we interacted with it apart from anomalous effects on temperature in the area, sudden cold, weird electromagnetic effects. I mean, that might be the only way you would be detecting it. At other times, this type of life might be glowing, might look like orbs, and so forth. Now, if we look at all the evidence from these portal hotspots like Marley Woods in Missouri, the ranch that Ted Phillips, J. Allen Hynek's assistant, studied a lot, for many years. Uh, Skinwalker Ranch, Elbert County, Colorado, uh, Yakima Reservation area, and other places, Bradshaw Ranch in uh, Sedona, Arizona. You would say this is what we're seeing out there. These uh, very strange effects that sometimes have a visible form and sometimes have an invisible form. Uh, so I think this brings this type of argument brings a really interesting angle to the whole UFO, UAP, USO discussion, right? And it's very gratifying that we have someone, even a number of years ago, in 2009, that was already writing about this uh, idea of dark matter life. And it just, this is sort of how science works, is different people propose it from different angles, and it all kind of converges on the same sort of data and explanation of what people are actually experiencing. So what do you think about that? I'm really curious to hear your opinions. Uh, do you agree, disagree? Put your comments in the box below. Uh, thanks for watching. 
and we'll see you next video. Take care for now. And